it's for Auburn. Come on. Hallelujah. Well, happy 20th anniversary. Amen. 20 years. Praise God. A lot has happened over 20 years, no doubt. A lot of people that have been touched, changed, transformed. A community that has been impacted. In praying over tonight, I really felt like this is not my message, but just more of maybe a, a word of exhortation, a prophetic word. Not really sure what label to put on it, but because of your faithfulness, God has seen fit in the need to increase your field. It's one of the reasons why all these houses are going up around here. And this community is growing because there's a church here ready to receive the harvest. And I just remembered a conversation that we had. Lisa and I seeing all this construction started up here and we were like, come on, restaurants. Come on, better shopping. And I'm in a conversation with your pastor, and he mentions houses, and I'm kind of like, we want restaurants. He's like, no, houses, because it's people. And he was already seeing the harvest. And I believe God's going to reward your vision. I believe that. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise. Amen. You know, Pastor Eric made the comment that I chose to be his friend. I don't feel like I had much of a choice because he's just so irresistible as a friend. I mean, who can resist Pastor Eric as a friend? He's such a man of God, a humbleness about him and a true servant's heart. And I know I say this to him from time to time, and I don't want to miss an opportunity to say it publicly, but how much I appreciate him and, and Carrie and their ministry and their friendship with Lisa and I. But there's not a man anywhere that I know that I would rather have praying for me than your pastor. And you guys are blessed to have this couple leading you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, don't run. Whoever is feeling the draw tonight, there's been a lot of talk about prodigals. Don't run. Before you shut your heart, before you run for the door, and you'll run in your heart, you'll run in your mind before you run with your feet. At least give God the courtesy of listening to him tonight. Just listen. That's all I'm asking. I feel like that's all he's asking. Just listen. Just listen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to get there in a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> I feel like that my assignment tonight or what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do 
through me tonight. is call out, not, not in the sense of pointing out and embarrassing, but to call out, to call forward. Kind of like on the Price is Right, they would say, come on down. And they would come running down so excited. It's a calling out because God's got something for you. God's got something for you. He wants to take you further bring you further tonight if you'll just receive this the celebration of grace I love that now when your pastor told me that that's what this revival was going to be called I immediately knew what he was talking about but he had to clarify and we're not celebrating the church we're celebrating grace so I understand that the reason you guys have named your church grace is because you believe in the grace of God. And it's a celebration of grace. But I, I, I have a feeling that most Christians or many Christians have an incomplete understanding of grace. So I feel like tonight that, that God's getting ready to expand your understanding and as you understand it, he's going to do something. Somebody's life is going to get wrecked tonight in a good kind of way. The kind of wreck where God puts it together, not tears it apart. Most of you have probably heard this expression, mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Aren't you thankful for mercy? Because we didn't get the judgment. Woohoo! We're still here. We're not ashes. And you've probably heard the grace explained this way, that grace is receiving what you don't deserve, the blessings of God. Now, I think both of those definitions or explanations are accurate. They're just not completely accurate. Because there is a power in grace. If we have, uh, do you guys have 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9? Can we put that on the screen? Oh, yeah, get that picture off. The lady in that picture looked awesome. The guy, not so much. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now, listen to this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, and he, he begins talking about himself. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. Stop right there and look at me. Don't read. Look at me. You need to understand that the Apostle Paul was unique. He referred to himself as an apostle born out of due season. This man of God had some revelation. He tells us in Galatians that he received the gospel that he preached personally, directly from the resurrected Jesus. On one occasion, he was taken up to the third heaven, and he says, I saw things that were too magnificent, too glorious to even talk about. The revelation that this man had was so phenomenal, incredible, that God was concerned, this man's going to get puffed up. He's going to get full of pride. So what happens? 
a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, I don't understand why preachers get up and they preach and they say, well, we don't really understand what this thorn in the flesh was. He just told us. I've heard preachers say, we, we, we believe it had something to do with his eyes, you know, because he was blinded on the road to Damascus. Well, have you forgotten that God called a disciple? Now, listen, he did not send an apostle to the apostle. He sent somebody just like you, a disciple, to go and pray for the man of God. And we're told that his sight was restored. God doesn't halfway do anything. Definitely the problem wasn't with his eyes, but he tells us there's this messenger of Satan to harass him. Now, I wish I knew more about what that really meant, what that looked like. But it just seems to me that as the apostle Paul was going about his ministry, going about his life, that wherever he turned, he kept bumping into this messenger of Satan that just harassed him. It just aggravated him. Some of you got family members that you might think is a thorn in the flesh. <clears throat> he seemed to be have this, this consistency of warfare in his life. And we can all relate to that. Our warfare may not be with a messenger because of the great revelation that we've got. But we're all in a warfare. And, and the Apostle Paul goes on to say, he does. There it is. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, look at this, mm, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, I'm not going to glory in the revelation. I'm not going to write a book and, and, and tour the country and, and make all this kind of money because I've seen heaven. Not going to have the movie made. He said, I'm going to glory in my weakness because it's in my weakness that I find strength. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages me because most days I wake up feeling way too weak. Mm. Too weak for this life. But it's in that weakness that his strength is made perfect. But it comes through grace. Come on, say grace. I thought somebody was going to start saying the blessing over the food when I said that. <clears throat> my grace. Now, this is God speaking. He says, my grace. Now, most of us, we understand, and many of your Bibles may even have it translated as favor or kindness. I looked it up in the Greek. And that's sure enough, it's one of the definitions. But how many of you know when you look up a definition in the dictionary, it starts with the most common use definition? 
Now, don't laugh at me. But sometimes I'm a little challenged on my spelling. I've come a long way. I've improved over the years. But recently, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't remember correctly to, to, to bear the weight of something. Was it B-A-R-E or B-E-A-R? I thought it was B-E-A-R, so I looked it up. And I expected the first definition to be the fuzzy critter that lives in the woods that scares everybody. But that wasn't the first definition because that word is more commonly used to talk about bearing the weight. It's just more common use. Do you realize that the most common use of this Greek word for grace is not favor? You know what the, defin the most common definition, the first definition when you look it up in the Greek is that which affords joy, pleasure, and delight. That which affords joy, pleasure, and delight. So God is speaking to Paul, and he's saying, my grace, that which brings me joy and delight and pleasure is to bless you, to give you favor. And the place where I love to do it the most is in those places where you're weak. Because he says, my grace is sufficient. That word sufficient in the Greek means to be possessed of unfailing strength. Whew. He's saying that my grace is filled with unfailing strength. That's why he could say that my power is made perfect in weakness. That in those places where you're weak and you feel frail and I'm going to drop the ball and I'm going to mess up, that's where God steps in and says, oh, it's my pleasure. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me give you some of my strength. Let me grace you. There's never a moment where God has granted favor to you that it did not bring him joy and delight and pleasure. There's power in grace. Power to help you defeat the enemy, to withstand the battle, to endure. To stand strong, that no matter how the devil is harassing you, messing with you, the grace of God, God himself steps in and says, hey, in the midst of this battle, I got some favor, I got some blessing, I got something, and it just brings me joy and delight to step into your struggle. God loves messy people. Praise God. Amen? God loves messy people. Now, why would God be so merciful and gracious to us? Because he loves us. And we'll talk about this more in a minute. It's more accurate to say he loved, past tense, than it is to say he loves. Not that he doesn't love us, but he loved us. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. 
but he's merciful. He's gracious because he loves you and it's just who he is. Most people have this concept of God in heaven with some kind of caveman stick in his hand, club in his hand, just waiting for them to mess up so he can clobber them over the head. But the Bible tells us that God is full of mercy and grace, that he's slow to anger and quick to forgive. Come on, if that wasn't who God was, I wouldn't be here. He would have said, enough of that boy, and lightning would have fried me. And it's not the holy you, the righteous you that he loves. It's the lustful you, the greedy, the selfish, the angry you spouting the hurtful words. The lying you. He loves you. At your worst, just as much as he loves you at your best. But you see, when we're at our best and we think we got it all together, we're not thinking grace, we're thinking me. It's when you're really messing up that you can look up to heaven and just say, Grace, grace, come on, give me grace. Because I need your power. I'm making a mess of it. Well, this is explained to us a little more clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2. This happens to be my favorite passage of Scripture, and I really struggled to know that this was God's Word or just what I wanted to preach, but I really believe it's God's Word for tonight. I love this passage because I see myself so much in it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead. Come on, say dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course. I'm sorry to do this. Babe, can you check my phone, please? Sorry, we have a lady in the hospital. So if you were dead and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, dead in your trespasses and sin following, now notice what you're following, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom you or we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now notice there's no or, O-R. Not that you were following the world or the prince or the passions of your flesh. You were following all of it. Verse number four, but God, come on, say, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved, past tense, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
even when we were all messed up, stinking of the world, full of the devil, full of our passions. He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for God prepared, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence that's here. I thank you that you're already speaking. Holy Spirit, I pray now, give understanding, open the eyes of the understanding of every person here that they may know the truth. Lord, help them to be strong in their will to say yes to the word tonight, to receive it. Holy Spirit, quicken me. Quicken my mind. Let your thoughts be my thoughts and your words my words. Let me be your vessel. Preach and speak through me tonight. Speak directly to every person here in Jesus' name. Amen. The power of grace. The power of grace. Everything that Paul writes to the Ephesians here is rooted in this one word, grace. Everything that's accomplished, everything that that is done comes through his grace that, that, that characteristic, that nature of God that finds joy and delight in giving favor and blessing in your mess, in your weakness. He says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I know there's a program, I don't know if it's still on or not, we don't have cable, but there's a program called The Walking Dead. Now, I've not seen it. I know it has something to do with zombies, I think. But I just remember when I first heard the name of that show, I'm thinking, that's nothing new. We got churches full of walking dead. People who think they're alive... Because they go through some certain motions, they say a few things and throw up a few prayers, but the reality is they're just as much in their sins as they were before they ever prayed a prayer. Trespasses. When I was in the ninth grade, I lived out in the county outside of Dothan, Alabama, and had a good friend, Stan McArdle. And uh, now I was raised in small towns. Stan lived out in the country, out in the county his whole life. 
Um, and so Stan was kind of teaching me how to, how to hunt. And so we've been doing some squirrel hunting, and there was this elderly lady that had some property right next to his granddad's property, and we were wanting to get on it and hunt for squirrel. And this lady's son happened to come driving by. Now, he didn't live with his mom. He was grown, had his own family, but he was coming to visit his mom. And so Stan stopped him and asked him if we could, if we could hunt on his mom's property. He said, sure, I'll let her know. A few days later, we're out there hunting. A few squirrels come out, and we, 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 we plan it this way. And so we each take aim at a different squirrel at the same time. And we, we, we each kill a squirrel at the same time. About the time we go and gather up our squirrel and meet back together, we hear this little old lady say, Get off my property! She's shooting at us. I think we ran about 10 miles at Olympic speed. Because we ran off the back side of her property around, or off the far end of her property around the back side, got back on her granddad's property and ran to his house. Scared us to death. We thought that lady was fixing to shoot us. A couple of days later, I happened to be at Stan's, and here comes her son pulling up in the driveway, and he gets out of his truck going, I am so sorry. I forgot to tell Mama, and she was shooting at y'all. <laughs> but we had trespassed, and we knew we were on somebody else's property. So when you deliberately know you're sinning and you say, I'm going to sin anyway, you're choosing to walk in death. You're choosing to walk according to the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, demonic spirit that is at work in those who are disobedient. You're choosing to give in to your own passions, your own lust. You're just the walking dead. But the grace of God wants to give you life. Walking, walking according to the ways of this world, the prince of the power of the air, in your own lust. That word walking means to order your life according to. So why do you think the way you think? Some of you can, can quote Oprah Winfrey, but you don't know this. You can quote other TV personalities and all the self-help gurus. Oh, I'm so wise. No, you're following the ways of the world. You're following people who deny the very God who has the grace to give you life. Why do you dress the way you dress? Who dictates your fashion? Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, if you, you, any of you guys in here like skinny jeans, God bless you. 
but I absolutely refuse to pull my pants down to pull my socks up. I ain't doing it. And I'm not skinny enough for skinny jeans. I don't care how much in fashion they are. I don't care what New York or Los Angeles or Paris or anybody else has got to say about it. I'm not wearing them. I told my wife, you buy me another pair of those things, I'm just going to go straight to the trash can with them and throw them away. I'm not wearing them. What dictates, how do you decide what you watch, what you read, where you go on your computer? What determines the decisions that you make, the attitude that you have? There should be one group of people on this earth that are more united than any other group, and it's those of us who call ourselves by the name of Christ. Because this should be the guiding principle for every one of us, and it should bring unity, not division. But sadly, sadly, we are more divided, or just as divided as the world, because, now listen to me, What informs your politics? CNN, Fox, or some of these other, what is it, Newsmax or whatever? Social media personalities? Or does this? What ways are you walking in, in your politics? Now, I'm not going to tell you, but I will say this, your faith should inform your politics, not your politics informing your faith. The power of grace brings life. Paul talks about in this section how they were children of wrath like all the others who were living in disobedience. You don't hear the wrath of God talked much about, but Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 1. In verse 18, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It's being revealed. It's being manifested. It's being made known. There is a wrath of God that you need to run from. And if you run from the wrath of God, you end up running to God. Because it's in God that you find the grace, that you find the mercy, that you find salvation, that you find healing, that you find hope. Now, I love that Paul was talking in the past tense. He's speaking to the Ephesians about what they used to be. But is that true for you? Is that a used to be for you? Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and most of you know this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation it says that the old has passed away and behold the new has come how much of the old is still in you the old way of thinking the old way of living the old pleasures the old way of having fun how much is new about you 
And I remember when I got saved on a Sunday night, I knelt in an altar about right here in the church I got saved in. I knelt down one way and got up another. There was, there was something new about me. I didn't even like to read. My senior year, I had to turn in a written book report. Do you think I did it? Yeah, I did. Now, this was before I got saved. This was B.C. The night before the report was due, I remembered it was due. I had not read a book. I did not read a book. I made up a title. I made up an author. And I wrote a totally manufactured, made-up lie of a book report. Turned it in. Made an A. Girls, don't, don't follow my behavior. Don't do that. But I didn't like to read. But something happened when I got saved. I couldn't get enough of this book. I can remember sitting at this little desk in my bedroom with a stack of Bibles, all different translations, and I'd just take and read a chapter out of one, set it to the side, grab it, read that same chapter out of another, set it to the side, grab another, just, and just reading, 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 reading. Because something was new. I had a new life. I knelt down in that altar, a walking dead man, and got up alive. Some of you got a testimony. But I have to ask you, how much is new about you? Now, some of you, now listen to me, listen to me. This is grace, but grace speaks truth. You cannot separate grace from truth or truth from grace or you end up in error. That's why the, John tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. It takes both. But some of you, if you look back to your life, you see a newness in you back then that's missing today. You need a revival. You need a revival. You need the, the breath of the Holy Spirit to breathe into those dry, dead bones in you and bring you back to life. Some of you used to raise your hand and worship in a way that you have not done in a very long time. Grace is the power, possesses the power to bring life to take you and your dead, sinful self and make you a brand new living being. Now, when, when he uses this word, made alive, it means to reanimate. Now, I hesitate to use this as an example because I, I don't keep up with movies and stuff, but... There's this old black and white version from when I was a kid of Frankenstein. Some of you may remember it. Now, the special effects were so horrible. There was nothing scary about the movie, right? But I remember that moment when the scientists went over and Frankenstein was laying dead on the table and he pulls this lever and you see the arc as the, as the electricity moves through the wires and hits all these different contraptions and then it just strikes Frankenstein 
And the scientist yells, he's alive, he's alive. Anybody remember that or am I the only one? Okay, good, I feel better. It's, 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 it's kind of that, that, that same image that we were this ugly, dead, sinful person. And grace pulled a switch. And life began to flow from heaven into us, and we became a brand new being. Grace has the power to make you alive. Are you alive? Or is there still some, still some worldliness in you where you think and act like the world? Still some demon behavior in you. You say, oh, no, 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 mm, don't go there. Now listen to me. The Bible says that when, when Satan speaks, his language is what? Lying. says that he is the father of all lies. So when you lie, who have you been intimate with? If he's the father of all lies and you're lying, you've been intimate because he's the father. But God, who is rich in mercy, steps into your lying, cheating, honky-tonking, country music loving or ZZ top loving self and brings newness of life. You've been walking in the cadence, kind of like a marching band in a parade. Anybody in here in the band? Or were? Okay. Yeah, all right. You, you, you learned to march. And if you got out of step, you just kind of, skip right to get back in step well that's the, that's the sense of what's happening here when you're dead in your sins and transgressions you are walking in cadence in step with the world with the prince of the power of the air and with your own lust and passions who are you walking in step with let me, let me talk to the students in the house for a moment. You go to school, and there's a pressure on you to be accepted. And some of you are compromising your walk with God, your testimony, and maybe a whole lot more to be accepted. Now, I want to talk to the adults. I want to ask the adults a question. How many of you in here are close friends, and I mean like close, close friends with anybody you went to high school with. Hold your hand up. One, just, just a few. And odds are, if I were to ask, it would be like one or two that you're close friends with. Don't compromise with people that in five years are going to be insignificant in your life. Don't choose death in the way of the world 
or the spirit that's at work in those who are disobedient. Don't choose your own passions, your own lusts to fit in. Because most of us adults would tell you that we have some regret for choices we made in our youth. Things that we did that if we had it to do over again, knowing what we know now, we wouldn't do. So listen to this old preacher. I know my last name's Young, but in reality, I'm not young anymore. But listen to me. Listen to me. Don't make the mistake of compromising. Don't choose the way of death. Choose life. You may get rejected. You may get ridiculed. But just hang on. Because in just a few years, those people that are making fun of you and ridiculing you will not even be in your life. But the people sitting in this room, they're still going to be in your life. Grace has the power to bring life. But grace also has the power to give position. But God, who is rich in mercy, his mercy is why we're still alive. His mercy is why he didn't strike us dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. You were saved, or by grace, you were saved. Grace. Even while you were in your sins, he expressed love and mercy and grace. He loved, not he loves, he loved. John 3, 16. For God so loved, with the D, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, when you put the D on the end of love, it's a direct reference to the cross. For God so loved in this way, he loved the world. This is how God expressed his love. At what point did God love you? When Jesus died on the cross. That's the point at which he expressed his love to you. For you. God, who is rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us and the cross. We've been saved by grace. Power, power to give position. He makes you alive because of his love with which he loved you at the cross. How many of you have ever heard the expression, if you do the crime, you're going to 
That's only true in the natural. In the spirit realm, for those of us who are Christians, we do the crime and Jesus paid the time. He paid the price. That's what happened at the cross. And just, and just practical, in a practical way. You're, you're driving, you're doing 70 in a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone. Come on, Miss Betty. 65 and a 45 or something like that. <clears throat> we love you, Miss Betty. But it's all Lynn's fault because he was talking to her, had her distracted. Yeah. <clears throat> but you're driving, you're doing 70 and a 55, and you see the blue lights, and you pull over. And the officer comes walking up, and the officer is God himself. Now, what happens if you get mercy? You get off with a warning. But what happens if you get grace? If you get grace, God writes you the ticket and gives you the ticket because you're guilty. But then God reaches in his back pocket and he pulls out the, his wallet and he said, now that ticket's going to cost you $300. Here's the $300 to cover the cost. It's really even better than that. Because in heaven, in the throne room or the courtroom of heaven, you're standing there before God and he's about to say you're guilty and Jesus speaks up and says, no, 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 no. That's my sin. And he walks over and he puts his righteousness on you because in the cross, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 ends by telling us that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. The great exchange because he loved in the cross. He loved in the cross. The great exchange that he took your sin. I find it interesting that in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is in heaven and he still looks like the lamb that was slain. Because he's continuing to mediate the new covenant and he's saying, I took their sins. I took their sins. I took, let me make it personal, I took your sins. I, he took your sins and he's given you his righteousness. By grace, you've been saved, you've been raised, and you've been seated. You've been saved, you've been raised, and you've been seated. You have been raised up into the heavenlies and seated with Christ, or in Christ in the heavenlies. Your home environment is not this world. Come on now, listen to me. Your home environment is not this world. Your home environment is heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You think about what the, the environment of heaven is like. 
Heaven's environment is where we as believers, those who have been made alive, those with whom all things are new, we have a new passion, we have a new home, a new position. And one of the things that is new is that we're a lot more comfortable in heaven than we are on earth. In heaven, heaven is filled with prayer. Remember in Revelation, there's a bowl filled with the prayers of the saints. All of your prayers are going into heaven and they're being collected. They're being collected. They're being collected. So if all things are new, you're comfortable in a prayer meeting. Come on, some of you need to get saved right there. Now, I'm being serious. When I was in Bible college, I won't say what years. No, in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. One of my professors said, listen, if you're ever discouraged and you need to get encouraged, he said, have a chicken dinner. He said, you will pack the church. He said, that place will be filled with people. You'll be so encouraged. He said, but if you ever get so encouraged, you're afraid you're going to get a little bit of pride. He said, have a prayer meeting. He said, you'll be crushed because so few people will come. Listen, guys, that's a trend that's got to change in the church. Because if all things are new, we would rather be at a prayer meeting than anywhere else because that's home. That's home. We'd rather be in a, in a praise and worship service than anywhere else. But now listen, some of you are walking in rhythm with the world. Because you can sing your Garth Brooks songs. You can sing your ZZ Top songs. But you get to church and the worship service starts and you're you're tripping all up because you're not in sync. You don't know the words. And you'll listen to your favorite ZZ Top or whoever your group is. Phil Collins or whoever. You'll listen to it over and over and over and over again. But after service, you come walking up to Pastor Eric. Why do we have to sing that same line 50 times? It's because you're a lot more comfortable in the world than you are in heaven's atmosphere. Because in heaven, there are angels that are declaring over and over again, holy, 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 over and over and over and over again. Come on, we got to get comfortable in the atmosphere of heaven where there's prayer, where there's praise. The word lives in heaven. We ought to be comfortable in the Word. Oh, well, Pastor, I just don't like to read. Then how do you know all the players on your football team? You get on your computer or your phone and you're reading ESPN and all these other sports places and websites and tell me all about your sports team. You like to read. It's just you like to read what you want to read. And if you don't like the Word, there's a good chance you're dead. Because if all things are made new, you're going to have a hunger for the Word because that's the environment of heaven. Because the Word, Jesus, is in heaven.
Are you alive? Then where are you at on Wednesday night when the World Series is being played? When the Final Four is going on? Come on, I'm getting real with you. You miss your team winning the championship. What have you missed? But what do you miss when you miss church? You never know. In our second pastorate, I was preparing one, one week for Sunday, and I, I read this one particular passage of Scripture and was writing the notes, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that this this particular point in the sermon was for a specific lady in the church who had been down in her back for years. Never knew if she was going to be well enough to, to make it to church. And I reached for the telephone. I was going to call her. And the Holy Spirit said, no. If she wants it, she'll be here. I was so thankful she showed up. I preached that Sunday morning. Gave the altar call. She was standing about right here. And when I got to her, I asked, how can I pray for you? And she pointed out that very point in my message and said, when you spoke that, I sensed in my spirit, God's going to heal my back. He said, I said to her, yes, he is. Because he spoke that to me earlier in the week. I prayed for her. And on Monday evening, I received a phone call for her, and she said, for the first time in years, I worked in my flower beds. She said, I don't have any pain, no discomfort. I ran into her daughter years later because we ended up moving. I ran into her daughter years later, asked about her mom. She said, her back is still healed. But since then, I've had God speak to me and say that this is for so-and-so, and they didn't show up. He has yet to allow me to pick up the phone and call anybody. But I tell our congregation, uh, that, that, hopefully they'll remember this, I tell our congregation, there are things that God does in the corporate meeting that he's not going to do in your private prayer time. There's things that God does here and things that you can do here that you can't do anywhere else. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, why? Why has he made us alive? Why are we seated with Christ in heavenly places? <laughs> because in the ages to come, through all eternity, he's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace. His grace is not just for this life. His grace is for all eternity. I look at my life, I, just in preparing, I thought, how much more grace can there be when he's forgiven me, he's healed me? I mean, just I go on and on all the things that he's done for me. But we haven't even touched the surface because for the ages, plural. Now, in Matthew 28, he says to the end, of, he said, I will be with you until the end of the age we're in a single age, and it's lasted 2,000 years. I don't know what ages are. I'll let Pastor Eric explain that one to you. I don't know what the ages are. I just know he's referring to eternity, and for all of eternity, he's going to continue to bestow his kindness on us in Christ. 
over and over and over. It's going to be grace, grace, grace. Most Christians have no real concept of what heaven's going to be like. I read just a few weeks ago about a, a lady in her 90s, a grandmother. She's dying. She's laying on her deathbed. She's surrounded by her grandchildren. And she makes this startling confession. She says to her grandchildren, she says, I, I, I really don't want to go to heaven. They were stunned because granny went to church all the time, read her Bible all the time, got on to them for not going to church. He said, Granny, why do you not want to go to heaven? She says, because I just think sitting around on clouds singing hymns is going to be really boring. That was her concept of heaven. Listen, heaven is going to be God bestowing grace, grace, grace. The riches of his grace over and over and over. It's just going to be like layer upon layer of God and his goodness. It's never going to end. That's how rich in mercy he is. Rich in grace. Grace. Celebration of grace. Power. One final thing. The power of grace brings purpose. Purpose. We're back to this new creation thing because in verse 10, he says, we are the workmanship. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. Now listen to me. Listen close. The Greek word for workmanship is the Greek word poemo or poema. Right, it's where we get our word poem from. That what God is doing with your life is he is writing a piece of art. He's writing a story of grace. Not just to be read by those of us in this room, but to be read by all your heathen family, all those heathens you work with, your neighbors that don't know the Lord. That they look at your life and they see the grace of God. What it looks like to have been dead and made alive. What it looks like to enjoy heaven's atmosphere and what our future is going to be. Now listen, if you don't enjoy prayer, you don't enjoy praise, you don't enjoy the word, you're going to be miserable in heaven. Let me just give you some advice. If you don't enjoy the church environment, then go to hell. Because if you're more comfortable watching your TV, if you're more comfortable going and playing your games, then hell is your territory. That's your home turf. That's where you're going to be more comfortable. Now, I know that's a hard word. But God wants to grace you tonight. God wants to grace you tonight. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, God is creating you for something special. 
And it's not just that he's created you. We're told that he's gone out in advance, out ahead of you, and has created the good work for you to do. He's created you for the work and the work for you. And there's going to come that moment in your life of intersection, that moment when your life meets your purpose. The question is, are you going to be alive enough to realize it? Are you going to be walking in the newness of creation, the newness of grace? Because Paul finishes that verse by saying that he has prepared these good works for you in advance that you should walk in them. He started out this chapter talking about how they used to walk in the ways of the world, the prince of the power of the air, in their, in their lust. He ends this passage by talking about walk God's way. You see, the ultimate power of grace is it changes your walk. It changes your walk. It changes the cadence of your walk. It changes who you're walking in step with. Some of you need to change dance partners, so to speak. You've been dancing with the devil. Now it's time to dance with the groom. Are you really, are you really living in grace? Can you say that grace has had the power in your life that Scripture talks about? Can you honestly say that you have experienced his grace to be sufficient in your life. Unfailing power. That just like with Paul, to deal with the devil, that messenger of Satan, he said, my grace is sufficient. That you have found in your life the grace of God sufficient enough to break the power of the devil and his works in your life. That you are walking in newness of life. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up. Now, from the very onset of this service, God's been speaking to somebody about coming home. I got news for you. All that the Father has for you is grace if you come home. The prodigal came home expecting the wrath, the anger of his dad, and he was just hoping that dad would let him be a slave. Just let me live out in the, in the slave quarters and just let me be the employee on the farm. No, I don't even need to be a son. But he ran right smack dab into the grace of his father who embraced him, kissed him, smelling like a pig pen dusty from the road and the trip. Listen, the Father doesn't care what you look like when you come to Him, but He cares everything about what you look like when you walk away. He said, bring the robe. Bring the ring. Bring the sandals. God wants to bestow grace on you tonight. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment and 
Some of you'd have to be honest tonight to say that I've been more worldly than godly. I've been more in step with the world than I have with God and His grace. Tonight, will you receive the grace of God in your life? Will you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. That's me, Joe. Will you pray for me? I need the grace of God. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Come on. Thank you. I need the grace. Grace is going to be life for you. Grace is going to be newness. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, I feel like there's more that need to raise your hand. You've been walking in worldliness. You've been walking according to your own lust. And tonight you sense, thank you, you sense that draw. Come to the Father. Receive grace. Receive grace. Come on. Everybody would just stand tonight.